Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 209 of the Modern Bar Cart podcast. I'm your host, Modern Bar Cart CEO, Eric Koslick. Thanks for joining me for this interview episode where we track down the best and brightest minds in the spirits and cocktail world so that we can share their secrets with you. This time around, I hang out with Deke Dunn. He's the bar director at Allegory, a speakeasy-style high-end concept bar tucked away behind the Radical Library in the lobby of the Eaton Hotel in downtown Washington, D.C. He's here to walk us through how he and his team use a surrealist mural, the story of Alice's adventures in Wonderland, and the experience of civil rights pioneer Ruby Bridges as a flavorful storytelling experience that has the power to move guests to tears. But before we talk about Victorian novels, Filipino yams, and the slang of the ferocious Jabberwock, let's give you the chance to make yourself a drink. This episode's featured cocktail is the Concha, which is short for Kanchanchara. To make it, you'll need one and a half ounces of white or light rum, one half ounce lime juice, and one half ounce of two to one honey syrup. Combine these ingredients in a cocktail shaker with ice, give them a good hard shake, then strain into a highball glass or a double rocks glass over ice, top with a splash of sparkling water or club soda, and enjoy. If you're following along at home, you'll recognize the Concha cocktail as a daiquiri made with honey syrup and lengthened by a dealer's choice amount of carbonated water. It's a drink that's popular both in Trinidad and Cuba, where rum and lime are a very popular combo, and for some reason it seems to have a more medicinal heritage or connotation than the classic daiquiri. Perhaps that's from the honey syrup, perhaps it's that late Victorian association between carbonated water and health benefits, or maybe it's just because the concha is a feel-good cocktail. This drink can be found on Allegory's Passage to the Somewhat Familiar section of their cocktail menu, along with a cold brew Negroni and a tequila drink called the Infante, because sometimes when you're surrounded by surrealist murals, you need to ease into happy hour with a drink that makes sense. From there, it's a choose your own adventure and the possibilities may very well lead you down your own mixological rabbit hole. So now that you're equipped with a honey sweetened take on a classic daiquiri, let's turn our attention back to the interview. In this eye-opening conversation with bar director Deke Dunn of Allegory here in Washington, DC, some of the topics we discuss include how Deke transitioned from a life in politics to a life behind bars, starting by working security at perhaps DC's most successful pop-up ever, and then making the switch to bartending. What a surrealist Victorian novel by Lewis Carroll has to do with Ruby Bridges, a civil rights pioneer who was the first black child to desegregate a white school here in the U.S., and why the artwork at Allegory mixes those stories together and puts them on display. Of course, we talk cocktails and drink development, explaining how Deke and his team use flavor to tell stories. And this might sound cut and dry, but when we explain how rum, bourbon, oxidized sherry, banana liqueur, and a purple tuber all come to reside in a kefir-finished milk punch, your mind will be blown. We also necessarily dig into the tricky balance that a bartender needs to walk when engaging with guests about historically charged and culturally sensitive subject matter. It's possible to do it really well, but there's also a lot of work that occurs behind the scenes in order to strike that perfect balance. Along the way, we discuss the role of hospitality in a concept bar, why a Ramos gin fizz is like a baseball bat donut, what's next for Deacon Allegory in 2022, and much much more. We're hoping to have some fun video content to accompany this interview, so head on over to the show notes page or our Instagram feed to watch Deke create the stunningly beautiful cocktail called They Can't Kill Us All. And most importantly, if you find yourself here in Washington, D.C., you need to check out this gorgeous hotel and grab a drink with Deke and his team at Allegory. If you walk in the front of the hotel, you'll continue past the front desk on your left 
into the library, then turn right through an unmarked door into the speakeasy. That's where your taste buds can enjoy a cocktail with a story, but for now, let your earbuds take the reins and enjoy this refreshing conversation with bar director Deke Dunn. Deke, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me, man. Uh, so let's kick this off here in this beautiful bar before it's open. The the In the time at a wonderful cocktail bar where it's always peaceful, quiet, you've got your coffee. So now that we're in our happy place, just take us through you. Who are you? What do you do? And um, how did you come to find yourself uh, behind this bar and this awesome program? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is Deke Dunn, and I run the bar program at Allegory. We are a cocktail bar in the Eaton Hotel in Washington, D.C., down on uh, K Street. Uh, we opened up in 2018, and it, it was uh, you know it was a really cool program from the get. Um, we have this big, beautiful mural that spans our entire bar that kind of informs every decision we make. It is a very surreal, almost Salvador Dali-esque Alice in Wonderland depiction. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, our name is Allegory, so there has to be some deeper hidden political meaning. And that meaning is uh, Alice also represents Ruby Bridges, mm-hmm. the uh, first black girl to desegregate a white school in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a picture of Ruby and Alice, and it's kind of both Alice and Ruby going into like the kind of the terrifying surreal. Alice is going to this wild wonderland, if you will. And Ruby is going into this world where she's forced into the global spotlight and becomes a civil rights leader, literally at the age of eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the painting kind of depicts both their journeys uh, at, at, you know, a young age um, and uh, kind of culminates in the end with Ruby and Alice slaying the Jabberwocky. So if you, if you see it, she's actually like armored up with a sword, cutting the head off a giant serpent. So that is uh, the mural that spans our entire bar. And like I said, it's, um, it's a mural that informs all of our decision-making as well. So basically all of our programming, um, you know, our hiring practices, everything, it's all kind of informed by the, by the, by the mural. So... Yeah, it, it's not the first painting depiction of Ruby Bridges either. There's a, a really famous Norman Rockwell painting that exactly. depicts her kind of being marched up to the school mm-hmm. in in that um, in that moment, and uh, it's a pretty it's a pretty famous depiction, I would yep. say. But yet we still, you know, you say that name Ruby Bridges. I feel like before. I was preparing to come to do this interview. I, if you had asked me who Ruby Bridges was, I wouldn't be able to put a name to that historical figure. So yeah. uh, I think that's a, a really interesting feature for a bar. I mm-hmm. don't really know any bars that come to mind besides maybe the Columbia Room being an interesting exception where there's a right. big piece of artwork in the bar mm-hmm. that has something to do with the way that that bar operates. In their case, they're kind of listing out some of the uh, important pioneers in the cocktail right. world. And it's a, it's more of a mural format or a mosaic format, I should mm-hmm. say. And in this mural, I mean, you're right. It's 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 gorgeous and yet it is surreal. I, I like the Dali call out. Oh, yeah. And uh, I have a feeling that as we start to talk about how the cocktail cocktails and the drink formulations play into what you're doing here and the storytelling that you're trying to achieve, we might get a little bit more into, uh, as you mentioned, the terrifying surreal. Um, But why don't you back us up a little bit? Mm -hmm. How did you personally get into bartending? Uh, I I believe Uh, a little bird told me that you may have been on Capitol Hill in politics at one point. Yeah, used to work in politics. Um, I used to think that I liked it. I think I convinced myself so deeply that I liked working in politics. It wasn't until I left in 2016, I think there's a direct correlation that I think everyone can, you know, understand very easily why one of the chief reasons why I left politics in 2016, I was running a U.S. House race in 2016, and that was kind of the uh, the culmination of all my just despair building up inside, and I knew, like, inside, I, just, I had to get to a different vocation. I, had, I, like, I always bartended on the side in college, and I loved it. I worked in dive bars, sports bars, that type of thing. Absolutely loved it. You know, um, it was just a great way to, you know, have, bring your friends in without, you know, spending a ton of money. It was like just a great way to like kind of pay the bills. And I bartended in DC as well while I worked on the Hill to help make ends meet. And then uh, a friend of mine reached out and said, Hey, I am living with the GM of what's going to be the new Game of Thrones pop up bar. And they're looking for security. I was like, Okay. Like I just left, I was a campaign manager for a very contested U.S. house race. And I was like, this sounds like the exact opposite. This sounds amazing. Let's do it. 
So I went and it was Derek Brown's uh, pop-up bars. Uh, it was the Game of Thrones pop-up bar. And I worked security for the first like two and a half months. And then they found out I bartended. They promoted me to a bartender. I immediately fell in with literally the best bartenders in the city. Some of the, some of the best in the country. Oh, yeah. All working under the same roof. It was amazing. The culmination of talent there was just brilliant. And so that inspired me immediately to get into cocktails. And then from there, I uh, worked with a bunch of friends over at uh, the Gibson. And then from the Gibson, we all kind of came over to this project, um, a bunch of former drink company uh, bartenders and uh, launched this project. It was originally supposed to be with drink company, but for many reasons that didn't end up happening, we ended up kind of running the bar together. And then because of COVID, all my, all my friends left and moved on to different things. And uh, now I'm, I'm the one left, you know, running the bar. So yeah, that's the, that's the long and short of it. So how has it been uh, reopening since COVID? Like, how has that experience been for you? And is it, or do you, do you have, feel like we're in a better, a little bit more stable place in the DC bar scene right now than we have been maybe if you look back six months ago? Yeah, I think so. Supply chain issues are still crazy. Hiring's still crazy. But, you know, we're doing numbers that are better than pre-COVID, which is awesome. And I'm hearing that wow. from a lot of friends that run bars and restaurants. It's like, if they're good spots, you know, they're crushing it right now. Like, it's hard to get a reservation at, you know, good restaurants. It's, uh, you know, they're packed out. The only issue is with some places like staffing, you know. And um, I think mentally we're in a better place as well as, as bartenders. I think we, uh, when we all kind of f were forced to take a step back, at least I was. I know some people worked all the way through the pandemic. I didn't. I kind of, you know, realized the abusive aspects of the job and highlighted those you know, and not let, be a little bit more healthy, a little, be a little bit more conscious, not work myself to the bone. Also, you know, we don't let ourselves get walked over by guests like we used to. We kind of have a little bit more self-respect, you know, yeah. it's, it's not yeah. always whatever the guest wants anymore. It's like, um, this is our bar and you're gonna respect us and you know, we're gonna have a conversation about it and we will give you two, we'll give you things up to a limit but we're not going to break our backs like we used to for a yeah. needy or sometimes disrespectful guests. Yeah. Yeah. I so. think that that's a good point. That's, that's a point that I haven't really heard brought up very often when it comes to some of the unintended positive side effects of, of COVID and having right. to uh, be more of a public health official uh, and, you know, th than just the person who uh, creates the drinks and, right. and does the actual service. So, yeah. um, so getting back to allegory here, mm -hmm. Alice in Wonderland seems at first blush to be a bit of a strange choice mm -hmm. for talking about the civil rights exper uh, experience or the uh, experiences that perhaps Ruby Bridges had. You're mm -hmm. talking about uh, a Victorian novel from England written in and around Oxford versus someone who is a six-year-old girl in the Deep South, or uh, I believe she was only six or seven so, years yeah, when, when yeah. she was marched up to yeah. that school. At first, it seems a little bit strange, but then as I dug into the similarities, like the first thing that occurred to me is like, okay, clearly I have a very limited ability to relate to Ruby Bridges. Mm -hmm. I'm a white guy. She was a young black girl. She's mm -hmm. she's still with us. She's still yeah. um, doing great work down in, I believe she's based in New Orleans right now. Mm -hmm. But like one thing that I can sort of see is the surreal aspect of it. Like it must mm -hmm. have been a completely surreal experience. But beyond that, I was, I was kind of struggling to figure out like, okay, we have a young black girl in the deep American South. We have a Victorian novel from about a hundred years prior to that. Mm -hmm. And now we have to make drinks and make this all make sense. Like, how does that work? Um, so maybe yeah. I'll just throw that one to you. Sure. And as somebody like, as you're developing these drinks, how does one take that concept and actually turn it into flavors. It's a big, it's a big concept for sure. Um, when we first started running the bar, we all kind of came over with the mindset of like, Hey, we're going to run a cocktail bar and like, we're going to focus on the cocktails. We really just wanted to be the next like good, like cocktail bar. Well, we really didn't think about this voice that we were kind of inspired to have. So when we got in, we understood, we saw the painting we started understanding the painting. I started understanding the, the deeper hidden meaning, the powerful message. We're like, Oh wow, we have to be something so much more, and that that like I said, that uh, inspires us to create like cocktail menus that are also art driven as well. So the the painting was created by Eric Thor Sandberg, a local DC artist who's kind of world renowned in the uh, in the uh, surreal mural scene. He travels all over the world, does very epic murals, and he's amazing. So when the hotel came to him, 
they said, listen, we have this idea for a bar. Um, originally it was to be called portmanteau. The concept for the cocktail bar was going to be mashing up different ideas and drinks. Uh, portmanteau, if, you don't, if you're not familiar, as a literary device created by Lewis Carroll, um, where he smashes two words together. So lunch, br- lunch breakfast equals brunch. Through the looking glass littered with portmanteaus, the entire Jabberwocky poem is uh, nothing but gibberish because they're all portmanteaus that he created. Mm-hmm. And so Humpty Dumpty has to explain to Alice like, what a portmanteau is. And so they, they kicked the idea to Eric, the artist, and said, this is what we're thinking. And he said, you know, we're in D.C., this is Chocolate City, you know, black people aren't represented and in high-end drinking culture, in high-end dining, like there aren't spaces created for black people in Chocolate City. What if we created, you know, what if we took Alice and turned her into Ruby and we tell these two stories at the same time? Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, oh, that's brilliant. Like at first, because you're like, what? That doesn't, that, at first that doesn't check, but then once you see the mural and you start, you see the space, you're like, wow, it, like, it all just works out brilliantly. And so our most recent menu, I reached back out to Eric and I was like, Hey man, I would love to work with you again. You know, we haven't seen each other in three years. Uh, come back for this menu, use some of your sketches to retell the painting, kind of relaunch the bar, re-educate people about the painting and like what it's all about. So all of our cocktails are kind of telling the same linear story uh, of Ruby and Alice uh, going through looking glass and glow, you know, going into, you know, desegregating a, uh, a school. But yeah, we, we basically wanted to tell the same exact story through his art. And so he gave us some sketches. And then, so this menu is all based on retelling Alice and Ruby's story. All the cocktails are call-outs to the painting and call-outs to Ruby's life. And it kind of inspires, if, it, if you would like to kind of dig a little bit deeper, if you're, if you're the, the drinker in here. Our next menu is going to be all original art by Eric. So he's going to be extending the story of the mural through the, through the menu. And all of the cocktails are going to be directly informed by the art that he's sending us. So we just started doing R&D on that uh, based on some sketches that he sent us. And um, it's going to be really cool, very like dark, uh, kind of like a, a dark brooding children's book, if you will. But like very, you know, you see the art, it's like he's a very high quality artist. So it's going to be a, almost like a storybook. So the, the cocktails will be directly inspired by the, the art that he's creating for us. I love that for a number of reasons. I love that the room is already in storytelling mode the moment that you walk in, mm-hmm. right? I love that the bar concept is tied to that. And now what you're saying is like, okay, with this artist, we have this unique opportunity to continue to extend it. And, yeah. and so it, it does seem to me as like a really fitting and thoughtful way to say, okay, we're a cocktail bar. In today's world, cocktail bars change their menus every once in a while. Right. Maybe not entirely, but like you, you know, there, there's a useful menu refresh paradigm out there. Mm -hmm. And partly what that allows is people who've already been to the bar to maybe come back and try the bar and have different drinks than they did last time. So I I think it's a a really useful business move, but it's also really thoughtfully done in this case. And, you know, one of the things that strikes me about Alice's adventures in Wonderland and Lewis Carroll's writing is that he very specifically chooses this young girl. She's based on a historical person, like an actual girl Mm -hmm. of a family friend, from what I understand. And she is supposed to be, I believe, 10 years old in the book. She has an older sister. And if for anybody who hasn't read the book, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland begins at in this very almost like childish way where she's looking over her sister's shoulder, they're reading, her sister's reading a book with no pictures and no dialogue. And Alice mm-hmm. being like her childish self basically goes, well, what the hell good is this? Right. Like there's nothing interesting about this book. And that is when she starts her sort of descent. It's when she notices the white rabbit, falls down mm-hmm. the rabbit hole. And then we have the whole saga that is uh, depicted here in these various panels on the mural here at Allegory. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that struck me as I was thinking about Alice's adventures in Wonderland is it's basically Dante's Inferno. <laughs> except for a child, right. which makes it almost more scary. In Dante's Inferno, it's just somebody who finds their way into hell and then ends up talking to r- random dead dudes, basically. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, eventually they make it out. Is it scary? Yes. A they make more it more on the nose. Yeah, yeah. very, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but to me, you know, I remember, like, I remember watching the animated Alice in Wonderland yeah. from Disney, and like, I remember feeling very anxious as a kid. And I talked to my wife about this, and she's like, yeah, it always kind of made me, un- like, kind of unnerved me. Mm-hmm. And so 
it's interesting that you're kind of inviting people to say like, yeah, lean into that. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that has something to do with like, to, at least in my head uh, about like using these drinks and using this storytelling device of this room and, and the flavors that you're using to actually get people, as you said, if they want to, if, if they, they want to go deeper yeah. than just the drink, this is how we get enter into that conversation. Exactly. So can you give us some examples of some of the drink specs that you think are great entrees into those deeper conversations? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So like the, the, what's what you you nailed it right on the nose. Like it's the childlike naivete mm -hmm. of both Alice and Ruby. You know, that's mm -hmm. like kind of how the stories like really tie in because like Ruby, when she first showed up to the school, she thought it was Mardi Gras. She thought there were so many people out there. They, they, she thought it was a big party. She saw signs. She's like, Oh wow. Like I'm going to a new school. There's all these people. They're having fun. This is amazing. And then people started hurling bottles at her, started throwing rocks, Rachel slurs, you know, she had to be escorted by the white marshals depicted in the Norman Rockwell painting. And like, it's, it's the same naivete that uh, Alice shows at the beginning, you know, when she, when she goes like down the rabbit hole. So that's kind of like how the two tie, tie in for sure. And so like our first cocktail on the menu, it's called Through My Eyes. It's a mm -hmm. uh, light, refreshing highball. It's like a, a pear highball, if you will. Yeah, it's, it's delicious. And so I always love to start a menu with something light and refreshing. It's kind of like a, hey, welcome, like, this will get your palate geared up, ready to go. And so the cocktail's named Through My Eyes, which is the one of the books that Ruby published. And we're kind of asking the reader at that point to like start looking through Ruby's eyes as as they dive like into the menu. It's like I said, you he's the starter cocktail with like the name of the book, and then it, we kind of inform the cocktail based on like the name of the book as well. And like I said, it's there for the reader if they want to go deeper, they can. I mean, we're a bar; we still want to throw the party. We, we, we still would like to have fun. You know, we have our DJs on the weekends. Like, you know, we're not above, you know, hitting people with bubble guns and light up coasters and stuff. Like, we still want to have fun. But at the same time, there's definitely like a conversation that we can have if you would like it. You know, yeah. if you're, if you pick up on something, you're like, hey, what does this mean? And you want to have that conversation. We're all very well equipped to like have that conversation and go deeper into the, uh, you know, down the rabbit hole, if you will. Yeah. I like the thinking about the bar as the public house right? Mm -hmm. Literally the, where we get the word pub from. Yeah. And there's a lot of people, especially in light of COVID who have been sort of lamenting the fact that we have lost some of these public spaces, uh, where you can go to have discourse in a relaxed way. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and alcohol, it's not a coincidence that alcohol is involved with that. Oh, of course. Right. Yeah. Like the, it, it's, it loosens people up. And, and to be honest, like I would much rather be, I guess, initiated into this story that you're telling with a drink in my hand. Right. Um, because it, in, in some respect, I mean, if we're taking cues from the literal Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, like there's a lot of eating and drinking that goes on in that book, yeah, right? There's, there, there's literally like bottle, little bottles that say, drink me. And mm -hmm. so, so it's like, yes, like it feels really participatory yeah. in, in that way. And it feels like, if you're going to have a bar with like this sort of heavy, it is a sort of heavy thing to, right. to have. So like give some optionality to it, give the opportunity for the guests to like, choose their own adventure a little exactly. bit. And I think yeah. that actually makes it way more attractive. It, it takes some of the, the heaviness out of it, even though it's a very heavy topic and uh, it allows, I feel like it allows for more valuable and easier conversation about it. So have you, have, have you, as people have come and enjoyed this concept with you behind the bar, mm -hmm. uh, have you seen people like really getting into the story? Oh and my God. Yes. I've people, we've had people cry <laughs> like that's amazing. Break down to tears. You know, like I said, it's, um, uh, our bar is trying to be representative of, uh, of a city that is not well represented. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, we were talking about how, you know, black culture isn't represented in high dining, high end cocktail bars, like just, it's just, we're just not there yet. And to see, you know, for, to have people come into such an elevated space and see, you know, a black face on the wall and, you know, have the story of a famous civil rights leader being told it's really, I mean, it's, it's been pretty wild to experience. Like most people react in the, like almost like wonderment. They're like, Oh, that's amazing. Or it's like you said. I noticed a lot of white people, we didn't really learn the story of Ruby Bridges growing up. Every black person I talked to, when I'm like, oh, it's Ruby Bridges, they, they know immediately who that is. 
Like mm. every single person, like they, they all know very intimately her story. White people, you know, we, they, we may remember like the Norman Rockwell painting, mm -hmm. or maybe we have a glimmer of the story that was, you know, maybe a, a sentence in our history book and, you know, in third grade, mm -hmm. you know, just kind of breezed over the entire thing. But so, um, it, it's been really fascinating to watch. Like, uh, people really get into the concept and they really get moved by it. And, um, there's definitely been some people, like I said, that have been moved to tears, which has been, you know, very, uh very rewarding experience on our end as well. Like seeing people like really moved by the space. Yeah. Which has been, which has been really cool. And, uh, like I said, that, that conversation is there to be had, uh, but like, we don't like force anybody to have the conversation, which is such a delicate balance. It is so hard to do because you it, like it, it, if you're listening, it probably sounds pretentious. You mm -hmm. know, the entire concept probably sounds like, like boring and like, you know, it doesn't sound exciting at all, but like then when you come and experience it, you're like, oh, they're like I, I get it. Like it's, it's a vibe for sure. Yeah, it, it, it straight up does sound pretentious. Yeah. And it, it's, it, it also sounds like trying to do too much almost, right? right? Yeah. But then you need to be in the space, I feel, to mm -hmm. understand how it's like, nope, this mural is doing a lot of work. Yeah. This drinks menu, when you go, even if you just go through the drinks menu on the bar's website, mm -hmm. you start to be like, oh, no, this is actually like a serious thing. They're not, they're not just trying to do this. You're not, they're not just slapping these two things together and calling it good like this right. is really thoughtfully done. Yeah, that's been the beauty of working in this hotel is it is, I mean, it's filled with creatives. And in corporate culture, you never see that. Like corporate, corporate culture is the antithesis of creativity. <laughs> yes, and, and being surrounded by people who are artists, who are activists, who are advocates, professionals, you know, people that do this, you know, professionally, it's, it's pretty amazing. And it was done. The spaces were created with such like thought and, uh, it, they, the spaces are so genuine. Uh, you can really see it. You know, there's so many corporate spaces. They're like, Oh, we want to be woke. Let's, uh, you know, let's slap a painting up and you're like, cool. That was mm -hmm. ham fisted, you know, yep. obviously like a boardroom got their hand on that idea. And you know, here's the exact opposite. Like it was, it was a hotel built by artists. You know, yes, you can, is, uh, you, you can really see, see that being yeah. front loaded. They're sort of, fr they're front loading that as right. opposed to making it an afterthought. And yeah. that's immediately apparent as soon as you walk in, which yeah. is wonderful. And I also think it's no surprise that when I look over at your bar, what, what is literally front and center? Uh, in terms oh. of the bottles. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, like, Equiano. Equiano yeah, rum. Yeah. Uh, Ian bro was on the podcast uh, oh, nice. a few episodes back and, yeah. and I see this bar as doing something in the same vein as the story of allowed Equiano being right. kind of prioritized by Ian and his team. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I think some good storytelling going on anyway. And what I'm hoping you might do is hopefully we'll try and capture a little bit of video here yeah. uh, in, in a few minutes, but I'm wondering if you might be able to just describe for our listeners, another drink on the menu that you think, uh, you might want to demonstrate and that you think mm -hmm. does a really nice job kind of encapsulating the vibe here at allegory. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, I'll, I'll describe the one that we use in, uh, use Ecubiano for, okay. um, so, uh, Equion won an amazing product Two, uh, their vice president of sales, Clyde Davis, local DC guy, legend bartender, literally black bartenders weren't in high end cocktail spaces. You know, when he was at bartending and he, you know, he's definitely like a giant in our world and like having him be like a friend of the bar and having this amazing spirit, we're like, we got to use it. Like it's absolutely essential. So we use it in three different cocktails actually, but we have one cocktail called they can't kill us all. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the, the middle cocktail that bridges the beginning of the story and the end of the story. It's like kind of our act two of our menu. And They Can't Kill Us All is a reference to a Wesley Lowry book, who is a Washington Post author and journalist who wrote about like the Ferguson tragedies and then how he followed the, the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement uh, for two years. And it kind of depicts like the frustration and despair around like the constant just, oh, another person got, another black person got killed by the police. Like, we're riding again, like nothing's changing. Like it's very frustrating, but then at the end, it kind of like tries to sheds a, a bit of hope as well. So that was kind of like how we bridged like our story about how, you know, Ruby's going on to becoming this, you know, full-fledged civil rights leader, you know, author, you know, published author, like, you know, uh, inspiring multiple generations. And so that's, that's kind of like how the name came about. And then the cocktail itself is like a, it's a clarified milk punch. My favorite style of cocktail of all, all right, time. All right. Yeah. So we use Equiano, uh, uh, original rum, their uh, their uh, aged rum, 
And then we do some bourbon, a little bit of sherry, banana liqueur, and then a little yuzu as well for the acid. And Mm -hmm. then for the milk washing, we do kefir, which is like a probiotic, a cultured milk. Uh, It's really tangy. Has a nice like mouthfeel, a little zip to it. Buttermilk on steroids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Very tangy. And so, so we uh, do a clarified milk punch with the with the kefir. And we actually um, a lot of people will pre dilute clarified milk punches with like tea. We actually just add more kefir to make up the pre dilution. So it really gives you this beautiful silky uh, mouthfeel. And then after the clarification process, we add ube gum syrup. So ube is a uh, Filipino yam, bright purple. It's kind of having a moment. Uh, this was a cocktail. This is the only cocktail we brought back from our previous menu back in 2019. Now ube is like everywhere. It's crazy. But it's, um, it's beautifully purple. has like really cool, subtle notes of like white chocolate and caramel. Uh, so we, we actually clarify the cocktail first, and then we add the ube gum. So it turns bright purple. And then we take that and we stick it on a light-up coaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you might notice, this is a dark bar. You know, some would call us like a, a, you know, a dimly lit speakeasy. So when we put that thing on the light up coaster, it's just like ooze and ahs all over the place. It's the, the sizzler effects, you know, uh, you know, sizzler walks through with a fajita. Everyone hears it. Everyone smells it. Five more orders go in, you know, right oh, yeah. afterwards. They always take the long way around. So everyone, you know, gets hit with the fajita smell and noise. Similar concept. Everyone turns their head. They're like, Ooh, what's the, what's the purple drink? What's yep. the purple drink? I'm like, Oh, yep. Five more come in like, you know, yep, the next right 10 away. minutes. Right away. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just, that's just smart. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So the, the Ube is an interesting product. Uh, I, I think the first time I had it was in sort of like a sushi, uh, sushi little situation where they had some that were, uh, in my little bento box and I was like, Oh, what's oh, this yeah. interesting. And I feel like if I, if I had to guess, I feel like somebody just went on a quest and was like, all right, we need a purple that's not butterfly pee because that is like yeah, that, so lazy. That, ju- that jumped the shark so hard once yeah. everybody started using it and nothing yeah. against Empress gin. It's just like, we need less, we, we need less butterfly pee. Oh my, it's all but, over TikTok. It's all over Instagram. It's still purple. It. It's purple, still purple is and good. It looks beautiful and I understand why yeah. people use it. It doesn't impart any flavor. So it's, mm-hmm. it's for me, that's like lazy as like a, I don't, I don't have to throw shade at anybody for actually using it as a high-end cocktail bar who we're supposed to be creative. Mm-hmm. Using something like that that doesn't add any flavor, for me, it isn't creative. It's beautiful, but at the same time, it's so much harder to achieve that color with something that adds flavor. And ube is a very distinct flavor. Yeah. Balancing all those flavors together was, uh, was difficult. I mean, that was, that was a cocktail that probably took you know, 30, 40 different tries. So, that that doesn't surprise me, and yeah. it also doesn't surprise me in that light that you have three spirits and at least one modifier. You've got the Equiano rum, yep. you've got the uh, bourbon, then mm-hmm. you've got what kind of sherry are you using? Oh, uh, we use a Montiato sherry. Of course, yeah, Montiato. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it's, it. That's the best. And uh, and then you've got the banana liqueur. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's a really exciting drink, and uh, hopefully, what we'll do here is we'll take a quick break. And we will get a little bit of video content of you making this beautiful drink. And oh, yeah. we will share that on the show notes page over at modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast. So stay tuned, everybody. And when we come back, we'll have a little bit of the delicious ube cocktail. They can't kill us all. Awesome. This episode is brought to you by Near Country Provisions. If you're like me, here are some things you might be like. You live in the Mid-Atlantic. You enjoy meat. You highly prefer that your meat is local, sustainable, and comes from ethically raised animals. And you'd absolutely love for someone to deliver it to your door once a month. If this sounds like you, then you need Near Country provisions in your life. Head over to nearcountry.com and check out their different, highly customizable meat delivery packages, and also browse their growing seafood selection. As a thank you for being a Modern Bar Cart listener, you can get two free pounds of ground beef or bacon included in your first order after subscribing if you enter the code BARCART, all one word, at checkout. That's BARCART, B-A-R-C-A-R-T, at checkout. Your Country Provisions is the real deal, and I can honestly say that I'd recommend them even if they weren't a sponsor. The meat and the local farmers they work with are just that good. Now, back to the show. Right now, we are going to be making They Can't Kill Us All. So, They Can't Kill Us All is a clarified 
milk cocktail that utilizes Equiano, beautiful Afro-Caribbean rum. Um, it's about a 48-hour process. Uh, we clarify the cocktail by adding the kefir to the cocktail, which has yuzu in it. Yuzu has acid. The milk, the curds, the whey protein, the calcium protein start to curdle, kind of the same way you make cottage cheese in a way. So basically what we do is we run the cocktail through the milk curds that form in the cocktail and the, the curds kind of create this filtration process that pulls all the thickness out, pulls all the creaminess out and what you're left with is a nice, clear, silky smooth cocktail. So that's what we do here. And then after the clarification process, we add our ube gome. Uh, if you're familiar, gome is uh, made from gome arabic. It's like a thickening agent. It's also a little malty, so it gives a little bit more, uh, gives it some savoriness. So we start, we pour out three ounces of our batch, our clarified milk cocktail. Right. And then we add our ice. So we add the ice. Like I said, this is our pre-diluted. We add more kefir to the cocktail in order to create that pre-dilution. So this thing goes right over ice. We uh, throw a little allegory stamp on it. And then we throw it on a light-up coaster. All right, let's get that nice stamp. Let's see. Boom, there we go. Like I said, we, uh, we're a very like dark, dimly lit, you know, kind of speakeasy ass type cocktail bar. Uh, when this lights up, uh, it usually lights the guest size up too. Like people love it. Uh, you know, lots of oohs and ahs. And uh, like I said, the man, this thing goes out. One, it tastes delicious, but two, it looks beautiful. So people around them, everybody wants to order one. So once one goes out, we usually get four or five in the next 10 minutes just because people want the, uh, the purple drink. So yeah, this is They Can't Kill Us All. So that was an incredible cocktail demo. I've got the drink right here next to me now with the beautiful stamped ice. They can't kill us all. I'm going to give you my little aroma and flavor impressions. And I've never had a cocktail with kefir in it. I've, I've, mm. I've tried it by itself uh, a couple times, and it's a little bit different than most dairy experiences. So, it yep. And it seems like the real opportunity with this milk punch is that you have, instead of just using something like a lime juice or a lemon juice to mm. enact that curding of the clarification, you actually have a more complex acid profile with the, I guess, the lactic acid. That's a type of acid yep. that you generally don't always find. I mean, you always have it in trace amounts in a milk punch from mm -hmm. regular milk, but in kefir, it's obviously cranked to 11. Yeah. So it's a different approach, and I'll, I guess I'll give it my first yeah. sip. Man, you really can't beat that mouthfeel. It's nice, right? And the ube, what I love about it is it almost reminds me of like it, it's it's such an Asian flavor to me because it, whenever I taste it, I'm reminded of how Asian style desserts, I'm thinking specifically like yeah. certain mochi from Japan or something mm -hmm. like that are a little bit more on the savory side. Like you can get like some sweet potato desserts and stuff there. Yeah. So that's what it always sends me to. So it's, it's really well balanced and I, you, you wouldn't necessarily be able to tell that there's like bourbon in here mm -hmm. I, I could probably pick out the banana liqueur if i had a gun to my head right because it makes so much sense with the ube and the sort of desserty milk punchy thing that's going on exactly but i don't know that if you were like all right like gun your head what spirit is in this i could i wouldn't have been able to even remotely tell you that there was a combination of rum bourbon and um right. amontillado cherry of all things well my my goal is Whenever, whenever I'm creating a cocktail, I mean, obviously the spirit forward cocktails, the spirit needs to sing. Like the spirit needs to be the, the, the shining light, you know? Um, but at the same time, when I'm, when I'm making uh, clarified milk punches, especially, my goal is to create like a unified, like a unique flavor. Kind of the, uh, using all the ingredients as building blocks to create one unique flavor. I don't want it to be, you know, bourbon forward. I don't want it to be, you know, rum forward or anything like that. I want you to drink it and be like, oh, that tastes like they can't kill us all. You know, mm -hmm. that's like the, I want that, that perfectly rounded, like almost uniform flavor going throughout. And like, that's always my goal with, uh, with milk punches is like have an idea, having a flavor profile and like try to exact like that perfect flavor profile. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's a sign of like a really good, like milk punch for sure. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And one thing that you were just describing, it really got me thinking, like, it seems like part of perhaps being a return guest to allegory mm. is getting the story told like little by little. Right. right. And, and like it would take with the 
extent of the menu. Like if I wanted to literally sit down with you and go through every cocktail and have you tell the the story and the concept behind it, it would take us like an entire day to do that. Yeah. And so it's just not, it's not a chunkable or it's, it's an experience that must necessarily, if you're going to have all the drinks on this menu, be experienced in mm -hmm. chunks like Alice's adventures in Wonderland. It's fragmented, right? Mm -hmm. So like every time you come back, if you try different cocktails, you're going to be getting a slightly different kind of like scene from it. So exactly. uh, I, I like that also as a sort of like choose your own adventure, because the one real worry from me when I think about like concept bars is that I'm just along for the ride, whether I like it or not. Yep. And this is, you're along for the ride to the extent that you want to be. And right. to the extent that you want to make that part of your experience, mm -hmm. you could simply come in here and sit down and enjoy a beautiful room with beautiful art and leave it at that. Um, but then there's uh, so many different layered opportunities beyond that. So exactly. I, I like the, if, if another bar concept is Scrabble, your bar concept is Bananagrams. Right, it's yeah. like the same. It's it's still there. It's it can be similarly tight, but mm -hmm. there's just a little bit less superstructure around it that makes it a more kind of fun, easier experience to sure. to get into. So, yeah, yeah. what about recipe development? Are there any like for for you as a person? You were just describing your approach to milk punch. For you right. as a, a person, as a bartender, as a collector of flavors, when you are in the process of recipe development for mm -hmm. these things. You know how how do you go about it? Are there certain strategies that you like to employ? Are there certain spirits or books or ingredients right. uh, that that really uh, make the process enjoyable and generative for you? Like, mm -hmm. what's what's your approach and what's the general approach of like allegory? Assuming that allegory has sort of an approach to yeah. this cocktail development, what what does that look like? Well, I call it like a uh, a cocktail matrix. Like for our last menu, that was it was the first menu with my new team. And so we basically targeted styles that we wanted to have a balanced menu. Uh, we wanted to have some stirred, boozy, you know, spirit forward cocktails. We wanted to have a milk punch. We wanted to have some sours. We wanted to have some highballs. You know, we, we wanted to have every box ticked, you know, so that any type of drinker can come in and then there'll be a drink for them. You know, the gin drinker will have their gin drink. The bourbon drinker will have their bourbon drink. It's, it's very important for us to have balance. So what we do is we create like a matrix. I call it like a matrix where we basically map out all of our flavors, map out all of our stylings, and then figure out what goes. And like sometimes you have two sours and they're both amazing, but there's only room for one. You know, you can't load up a menu with sours. It's just, it's not gonna be balanced. We really try to have a nice, neat, balanced uh, menu. So basically I take my team and we go, here's what we're trying to achieve. Uh, these are the styles of the cocktail that we want to try to achieve. I basically have the team take their ideas and like run with the styles. So for me personally, say like this last menu, I did um, a little bit more of the heavy lifting on our cocktails because you know it was a brand new team. I wanted to integrate them into the, the allegory system. So I would, uh, with some cocktails, take a singular flavor and like I knew I would like Ube for example. I knew I wanted to work with Ube and I needed to figure out how to you know, build a cocktail out from Ube. So I started with the flavor profile Ube and then started testing flavors, you know, you know, I'd knock out some, I basically like to taste it, get some tasting notes on it. Whatever those tasting notes are, I start to build out flavor profiles that I know work with those flavors. Um, as far as literature is concerned, the flavor Bible is an absolute must for any good bartender. Yes. Um, the flavor matrix is another good one. And there's a, a couple of really good books on like spices, Drunken yeah. botanist is a yeah, good one. Yeah, drunken botanist is great. Uh, basically, using your you know every every cocktail bartender has a pretty big library, so just using your entire you know library to, at your disposal. Also, ube you know it's a Filipino ingredient. I got the idea idea to use it for my buddy Jolly, who used to work here. He's uh, Filipino, and he used to be a chef as well. And so he gave me a lot of like flavor pairings as well. He's like, there's some really cool Filipino desserts that he used you know, cream and coconut and pineapple and those types of things. And like, he started to gear me, you know, in certain directions. Mm -hmm. um, so, mm -hmm. you know, consulting experts in, in you know, in those uh, flavor profiles is definitely a big one too. For this next menu is gonna be a little bit different. And so Eric is doing all new art uh, for our menu and we are going to have the menu inspire the cocktails completely. This last menu was, we made a bunch of great cocktails Eric gave us like his sketches and we kind of shoehorn them into a story. Uh, this next one is going to be completely inspired by the art. So that's going to be the, like the really tricky part. We're going to have to 
look at the sketches and kind of map out our cocktail matrix, figure out where all the cocktails are going to go and then figure out like what flavor profiles are going to be directly inspired by the paintings, by the, by the art that Eric's going to give us. And uh, that's going to be a uh, definitely a bit of a journey. We just started along that journey and uh, I can tell it's already going to be a big lift, but it's super fun though. I'm not used to approaching cocktails from this direction. I'm used to, you know, like I said, I take an individual ingredient, maybe like rum or ube or, you know, yuzu or whatever, and then I build a cocktail out from that single ingredient. This is going to be the exact opposite where we're building backwards, you know, into the full cocktail. We're starting with the concept first, and then we're going to have to develop the cocktail based on the concept. So that's a lot of fun. Uh, definitely a, a whole bunch of work. I yeah. mean, the, the way that you described, and, and, it, and it also makes sense in that one of the pages on your menu, uh, sort of in the spirit of like, you know, pick the level at which you want to engage with the Ruby Bridges mm -hmm. uh, aspect of this experience is like the, it, it's passage to the somewhat familiar, somewhat familiar, mm -hmm. right? Yep. So the, in, on that page of the menu, like, do you have highballs and sours and, you know, Negroni variations elsewhere on the menu? Sure. But like, at least on this page, those renditions are sort of a little bit more called out as such so if yeah. you're like whoa this is all too much for me like go to this page and right. you've still got like you've got things that are vaguely familiar yeah exactly more than vaguely you know, familiar well, in some in some respects people see a cocktail like oh rum lime honey like i know what all those mean mm -hmm. that's a, the concha it's a cuban cocktail yeah they, they read they can't kill us all they don't know what equiano rum is they don't know what amontillado sherry is uh, they probably maybe haven't hear, heard of Yuzu. They have no idea what kefir or ube is. You know, the average person's looking at it, and that's just confusing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we we try to, I put a little passage under each cocktail yeah. to try to explain the flavor, flavor profile in a very familiar way so that we don't, like, scare people off. But we do have the, the it's kind of like a deep cut classics. We call it, like, the somewhat the passage is somewhat familiar, the, uh, the classic cocktails we're really, really into. And, like, on there we have, like I said, the concha. We have a... Uh, Cold Brew Negroni, um, yeah. the Infante, one of my personal favorite tequila cocktails. And then we also have our Ramos Gin Fizz, which we're known for making. We make a lot of Ramoses every every night. So it's like the page is like it won't scare off the average drinker if they're maybe intimidated by um, the esoteric nature of the ingredients uh, on our main page, main, main cocktail menu. So. Well, the amount of labor that goes into a Ramos Gin Fizz sort of makes up for the uh, the easy straight pour from the milk punch bottle with the uh, they can't kill us all. That so. is that is exactly why every menu I'll ever have will have a milk punch on it because it is a single pour from a bottle. Because when you're cranking out, you know you got to take it with two Ramoses on it, and you know if you're doing like a five bottle pickup on a bunch of other drinks, you're gonna drown. So our yeah. menu is definitely in, like Bill. All of our stirred and boozy cocktails are all pre batched. Um, everything. So we, we try to simplify everything as much as possible to the point where we can just grab and go, but obviously never sacrificing quality, you know, just all the magic kind of happens behind the scenes before the guests get there. So, but it doesn't cheapen the experience either. It just makes sure they get their drink on time. Right. And it, it also allows you to redistribute resources to do those things that mm -hmm. take a lot of time, like menu and recipe development. Yeah. Right. So like exactly. I, I, I love I'm a huge proponent of pre-batched. Like, oh, my God. Yes. I, I almost prefer it when a bartender gives me something pre-batched because I know they weren't rushed trying to make it mm -hmm. very light, very low likelihood that it's that it's going to be uh, unbalanced. So, yeah, exactly. Um, it should be exactly the same every single time. Exactly. Pre-batching, you have scales, you know, you don't have to. You're not using inaccurate jiggers or free pouring or any of that junk. So, um, yeah, yeah, it should be exact every single time. So that's well, the beauty of it. The, the one thing I will point out before we kind of, you know, we've been referencing what's coming next for allegory, but mm -hmm. before we go there in full, the last thing that I want to point out about this bar based on our conversation, based on how it's set up, based on everything we've spoken about so far is the fact that hospitality is really being front loaded as well, right? Mm -hmm. You're saying that like, you know, it's awesome to work at this hotel where it's like artists and creators and, you know, art is being sort of like, that's almost the point. One of the important points of being here is to to have it be an experiential thing, but the hospitality too, like, if you're going to be taking on a concept that's cha as challenging as the one that you've selected, as you mentioned earlier, you said, oh yeah, sometimes it's a really fine line that you need to walk with folks in order to kind of like figure out where they want to be and what their ideal experience is going to be. It must just be incredibly 
taxing on the hospitality front. And I imagine that with your team, you have a lot of conversations and a lot of systems in place mm -hmm. that you need that you've been working outside of service hours in order to have that hospitality be so front and center. And I think yeah, absolutely. to me, like if, if there was a secret sauce that I would like, if somebody, if, if I was to come here with somebody and watch a night of service mm -hmm. as just like flies on the wall, like probably what I would tell that person would be like, the secret sauce here is not Alice's adventures in Wonderland. It's not necessarily Ruby Bridges. It's not necessarily the Ube and the Milk Punch. It's the fact that this stuff is all executed with hospitality being the primary factor. And Definitely. I think that's the only thing that, that makes this such a high concept that actually works in practice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tell people this all the time. I don't know how true this is post pandemic, but pre pandemic, it was definitely very true. Uh, I know um, there's a lot less talent in the bartender pool right now. A lot of people moved on to other careers and other professions. Um, but do you definitely, have your uh, real estate license? <laughs> I will never be getting a real estate <laughs> license. I will never be, uh, you know, removing my uh, pineapple tattoo. Uh, I, I always tell my team, there's so many people out here that can make great drinks. Like making a great drink doesn't make you a great bar or a great bartender. Like I love Katana Kitten in New York because I get a great drink, but Moss's hospitality, their bartender's hospitality is absolutely brilliant. You feel like you're literally in their living room and they're throwing a party for you. Like that's how it feels. Like that is an experience that you cannot replicate by just being like a snooty, curl your mustache bartender. Like here, enjoy my drink. Yeah. Like, that's not what it's about. The It's about the entire experience. We kind of call it like a 360 degree hospitality experience mm -hmm. because when you come in, you, we have all the concept that you're experiencing, but also it doesn't work unless you're giving guests like a high quality, like hospitality experience. You know, you gotta, gotta really make sure that they're having an amazing time. And that, that requires us to be very patient, very uh, educated, you know, very well-trained and like, it's um it's definitely a, a big lift, but you know, it's 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 so worth it when people, you know, leave and they, you know, leave a review or they come back, they bring their friends. Like we have such a dedicated um guest base, you know, that of uh, returning guests that really love and they love to experience our bar and like like to show other people. It's yeah. like it, check out my thing. My thing is so cool. Like come come to my bar and check out my thing. Like you're gonna love it. We see a lot of people do that and it's it's very like gratifying on our end. So it is difficult and it's a lot of work, but at the same time. If you want to be a great bar, like I think hospitality is probably the most important out of all of it. And also a great indicator when you have a concept bar and people are still coming in and taking ownership of that, mm -hmm. uh, even though the concept is going to change. And that's, it just seems like a great opportunity. So yeah. how long, and as, as we wrap up here and talk about like what's next for, for you and for Allegory, yep. how long is the current Ruby Bridges experience going to be taking place, at least in terms of the menu that we have here before us yep. today? And when are you going to make that transition to the next set of concepts in partnership with the artist who created this the mural? And I assume there's still going to be some some Ruby Bridges stuff in there as well, right? Yeah, definitely. It's, a, it's, it's going to be an extension of the painting, extension of the story. So this menu, we're retelling the mural story through our menu, you know, we're trying to re-educate our guests. We, we kind of treated this uh, this reopening as, you know, a grand reopening. Um, as, like sure. we were opening up for the first time. We wanted to realize the bar that we always wanted to be fully this this go around. So this current menu uh, that features a lot of Eric's sketches, they are, this, this menu is going to be live until like around January. Uh, so our plan is to flip this menu about every six months. Like I said, we're doing a full lift with uh, with artists and and all that. So it's it's definitely not something you can just like flip in, in a couple of weeks. This is a you know we we're we're going to be run, launching our second menu with Eric in January. There's no hard set date, but sometime around January. And we're already doing like the R and D for the cocktails right now. You know, it's a it's a like a basically the minute we launched this menu, we started working on the next menu. Yeah. It's, it's 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 a big lift. You know, so that menu will be working directly with Eric on bringing brand new art to the table. It's going to be an extension of the Alice in Wonderland Ruby story. It's basically going to tell the story of between the paintings. So if you come in here and you see Ruby going into the, the down the rabbit hole into the looking glass, there's a big gap between the tea party and uh, then Ruby slaying the Jabberwocky. There's a big story that uh, Eric is going to tell in the middle of that. Basically, the the journey 
that Ruby and Alice take to slay the Jabberwocky. Mm-hmm. And the culmination of the, of the menu is going to be Ruby and Alice slaying the Jabberwocky, the allegory for conquering your inner demons. So that's, that's going to be the idea. The art, I've already gotten sketches, and it's stunning. It's going to be full production, and it's going to be beautiful. So we're, we're still working on building out like, the actual physical menu, but it's going to be really cool. I'm really excited about it. Is there a social media account that people can follow for maybe some sneak peeks and previews of that? Yeah. So if you want any sneak peeks, it's probably probably be on my personal Instagram, which is D-E-K-E underscore D-C, Deke underscore D-C. Definitely follow us on Allegory as uh, Allegory underscore D-C. We'll definitely be posting updates on that Instagram as well. That's super exciting. Well, if that menu is anything as fascinating and carefully put together as this one, I have every confidence that uh, when the year is 2022, you're going to have a a full house full of guests who are ready for the next installment, just like there was a second installment of uh, Lewis Carroll's story. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Deke, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, Let's jump into some lightning round questions. All right, let's do it. (laughs) Weird bartender question. Everybody's a little bit testy about it sometimes nice. uh but uh do you have a favorite cocktail and if, if you don't have a favorite of all time that's fine we'll give mm-hmm. you that out but give us something that maybe you've been more recently obsessed with if that's the case i mean favorite cocktail of all time is the ramos gin fizz it's so un- it's such an unpopular opinion but like when i first started bartending i took a drink of it um a buddy of mine uh, made it for me uh, when we were working behind the bar and he's like never show guests this because they'll order it and like you'll just hate yourself for it i tried it and i had that um that ratatouille moment where the writer gets snapped back to his childhood. Like I tasted, I'm like, boom, this is my favorite. This is my flavor profile from when I was a kid. I'd eat, I'd eat dreamsicles in the summer. So I immediately, I taste, I'm like, Oh, fresh cut grass, soccer, swimming pools. Like, Oh, this is the best thing ever. And so I started making that drink almost in spite of the workload. And then it kind of became <laughs> me and my buddy, Polly, we, uh, we worked at the Gibson together and we kind of made them as like a bit of a tongue in cheek joke to other bartenders. Like, Hey, we're going the extra mile. And then we started working here. We're like, why don't we just like lean all the way into this thing, make it a show. You know, we'll, we'll make the cocktail. We'll toss the tin like over the guest's head and like have bartenders shake it on the floor and like walk around tables while they shake. And it's like, it's a whole like fun production. And it also takes the bit of the workload off uh, the individual bartender as well. Um, but uh, most bartenders hate making it, but we, uh, we love it. I, I call it our donut to our baseball bat. You know, if you can make a Ramos every single time, everything else, everything else is easier. That is a yeah. really good metaphor. Baseball people will get it. <laughs> yeah. um, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, do you have any secrets? So a very unpopular answer. Do you have any secrets about how to make a great gin fizz that you might like something that people commonly get wrong or something to do to make it easier oh yeah well we we love to well we have a freezer behind our bar which is a bit of you know our technique there there are people that i've seen that make like really good like two minute ramos we don't use that technique we we do a hyper chilled glass collins glass we add the soda water first and we hard shake that sucker for you know 20 30 seconds we don't do like the whole 10 minute shake you know we just hard shake it 25 30 seconds and then we add it all the way up to the brim, stick it back in the freezer. So basically if we get like a ticket with like a bunch of Ramoses, we make the Ramoses first, throw them into the freezer, build all the other cocktails. By the time you're done building those cocktails, the Ramoses are ready. You pull those out, punch a hole down the middle with a straw, and then you pour the Ramos right down the middle and it gets that beautiful rise out of the head. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. And that's of course the theatrical thing that we love about the Ramos oh, absolutely. Gin fizz, So Another ooh-ah moment. People lose their mind every single time they see it. Yeah. <laughs> that's another Sizzler cocktail. Oh, One Ramos goes out, like a bunch come in later. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Wow. We had a group come in for last call at 1.30 and one girl ordered Ramos and she's like, kind of worried about it. I'm like, don't worry about it. We got you. She loved it. All of her friends loved it. So for last call, literally the entire table, like eight people for last call got Ramos's <laughs> and we, we banged it out with a smile and gave it to them. They had an amazing time. I'm, they're they're going to remember that drink forever. I guarantee that. You know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> it's not a drink that you get very often, but when you do, it's uh, usually a special occasion. So yeah, that's a fantastic sure. answer. And uh, people go out and get yourself a gin fizz if you're here in DC. Uh, Little little guest question here. Since we're talking about Alice, Alice's adventures in Wonderland, do you have yeah. a favorite character in that novel? Uh, I mean, the rabbit, for sure. You know, the uh, the the timekeeper, the, uh, the giving you the the uh, surreal sense of time. You know, um, definitely the the Sherpa. 
if you will, you know, guiding Alice through through the journey. The bar manager. Yeah, the the bar manager. Exactly. I kind yeah. of feel like the rabbit sometimes in here, <laughs> guiding people through their through their journey. So, yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Cocktail with anyone, past or present. Who would it be? Where would you go? What would you drink? Assuming it's not Ruby Bridges or Lewis Carroll or <laughs> Alice. Uh, just paint us a picture. Oh yeah. Um, geez, that's a great question. Well. If I could, I would probably have drinks at Katana Kitten. It's my favorite bar of all time up in New York. And I would have my entire allegory team, past and present, all together hanging out. I miss my previous team desperately. A lot of amazing friends uh, like Paulie Gonzalez. He's down in Virginia Beach now running an awesome bar called uh, Tin Cup. He's like one of my best friends. Um, and I don't get access to all those people anymore like I used to. And they were like such like levels of inspiration. And I'd love to bridge the gap between my new team and like the old team. And like really vibe and bring everyone together and like have some amazing cohesion and have an amazing cocktail experience brought to you by uh, the wonderful folks at Katana Kitten because they do it better than anybody. Yes, uh, that is a really epic bar and we're maybe working on something here at the Modern Bar Cart Podcast to maybe uh, bring a little bit of that magic here to the airwaves. So I'll leave that vague for now, but uh, Masa also has a, a pretty cool book that just came out oh, yeah. um, through our mutual friends over at Hanalee Communications. So Lovely individuals. Yes, indeed. Uh, so yeah, that's a great answer. And uh, for anybody who's curious about Katana Kitten, about why that bar is special, definitely worth looking into because... Uh, it is one of the most important bars currently in operation right now oh, yeah. in the entire world. So definitely look up Masa and look up Katana Kitten. Um, last question here. Uh, do you have any controversial opinions besides the uh, the tongue-in-cheek uh, leaning into the Ramos Gin Fizz? Do you have any, uh, any, any controversial or unusual opinions in the bar cocktail world? In the bar cocktail world? Um controversial i mean the ramos, the ramos is definitely uh controversial um for sure uh tiktok <laughs> is controversial as well i don't see nearly enough of my friends leaning into the world of tiktok there is a uh i know people like really scoff at it, especially you know i'm a millennial i'm in my mid-30s um i got into it like so many other millennials did uh during the pandemic but i've not seen a whole lot of bartenders utilize that um utilize that platform and it is this is the time to be on that platform because you can go viral and explode on that platform if you make cool, fun, interesting content. Um, like I had ice videos during the pandemic, you know, get, you know, multiple million views, like four or five million views uh, just, you know, because people were like, oh, clear ice is super cool. <laughs> I don't know anything about this. And like it's it's kind of the Wild West right now because, you know, they, they pay their creators. Like it's really easy to go viral. It's not going to stay that way for a while. It's kind of like the early days of Instagram. And I want to see a lot more super talented bartenders make a name for themselves on TikTok, especially like the bigger personalities, yeah. you know, the, the ones that are already, um, you know, are, have already made a name for themselves in the, uh, in the bar world could easily make even a bigger name for themselves, like on the TikTok platform, because it really is amazing at launching big personalities right now. So if yeah. you have a lot to say and you're, you can say it really well and you, sh you can perform, you know, something really cool, I think that's a platform that. I would love to see more bartenders on it. And I know a lot of people that kind of scoff at the idea of getting on TikTok, kind of big eye roll whenever I bring it up. So that is, that is fair. Yeah. Uh, Sean Sewell out of Victoria, British Columbia, big into bartenders on TikTok yeah. as well. So uh, yeah, two points makes a line. We've got some opportunities on TikTok. So uh, maybe we'll have to have some of our listeners come and show me how to use it because uh, <laughs> it's something that I have not yet ventured into. And I'm sorely, sorely lacking talent and time on the social media front. So good inspiration from Deke. Just give us one more shout out to the Eaton Hotel and the Allegory Bar. Where yeah. are you located? How do you come here? Do you need Absolutely. reservations? Do you need to show vaccination stuff? So, How are you guys running yeah. it? We did just start uh, requiring vaccinations in all the F&B locations. And November 14th, we're going to start requiring vaccinations to enter the Eaton Hotel as a whole. We're going to be the first hotel in the D.C. area requiring vaccinations, which is kind of crazy. But, you know, that's the, the world we live in right now. But yeah, we're in the Eaton Hotel. It's an amazing hotel. Got to come stay here. It's going to be the coolest hotel experience you ever have. Uh, we're on 12th and K. Uh, we're open from 5 to 10 on the weekdays, 5 to 2 on the weekends. We got DJs every weekend. Try to keep things lively. And a uh, big shout out to them for creating such an amazing space. And then huge shout out to uh, Hannah Lee Communications, Hannah and Michael over there. They handle our PR. They connected us. And they are the most amazing humans ever. So big shout out to them as well. Yes. Cheers, cheers, cheers to Hannah and Michael. And uh, Deke, this has been 
really educational for me. And I just wanted to thank you once more for being a guest here on the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. Awesome. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners, and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember, folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and sound design by Samantha Reed. A radical cocktail and civil rights mashup courtesy of Deke Dunn and the team at the Allegory Bar in the Eaton Hotel here in Washington, D.C., and a little bit of interview magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2021.